Welcome to the interview series, the first podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance in London. I'm back with a second season of interviews, this time focusing on the people that made ICMP a pioneer when it comes to music higher education in the UK, our tutors. Catherine and Davis is one of our tutors, currently teaching on the BA songwriting and the MA creative music production degrees. You guessed it, Catherine is a songwriter and producer, as well as a session musician who's collaborated with a wide area of artists, including the Manny Street Preachers, Simple Minds, Bernard Butler, and many more. We talked about The Art of Losing, her successful second album, released at the beginning of 2021, and how it made sense to put it out during a pandemic. We also touched on her commitment to gender equality and how to stay sane while fighting for a fairer music industry. Catherine also told me how teaching is what makes her a better songwriter and producer and how, no matter how busy her artist life may get, she'll always come back to it. Thanks for listening in. Don't forget to follow our podcast, subscribe and tag us on social media at ICMP London if you feel like sharing this or any other episode. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm a bit overheated today, though. It's very hot outside. <laughs> same, same here. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot for oh, finding pleasure. time. It's, it's great to have you on the podcast. So I want to start with congratulating myself with you for your second album, The Art of Losing. It's had quite a lot of traction, quite a lot of uh, great responses. So uh, yeah, congrats on that. The record delves into quite, you know, let's say some heavy stuff that you've gone through. So some experiences, whether it's like death, loss, traumas. And I just want to know how was it for you to just put it out all on a record? So put it out, you know, to the public and if it's helped you sort of like dealing with some of these experiences somehow? That's a really good question. And I think, you know, one of the kind of serendipitous things about the pandemic, probably the only positive to come out of it, was that the record was postponed by, well, the release of it was postponed by a whole year. So I originally finished making the album back in February 2019. So it was supposed to come out the following March, um, and then obviously ended up coming out in March 2021. So there's a really big distance of time now between a lot of the worst things that I went through um, in that period of my life and putting it out in public and I think that that was a kind of gift really that I didn't anticipate you know the time when it was postponed like any artist I was frustrated and, and felt a bit sad but I think actually had I put it out in 2019 or 2020 I, I don't know that I would have been able to do the kind of interviews that I've done and I also don't think it would have resonated with people in the way that it did either I think that the climate changed you know in terms of what we're kind of what people are interested in consuming and listening to during the pandemic when I think we're all kind of confronted with death and mortality on an everyday basis and I, I think what was very what was seen by my record label as oh it's quite a dark record I'm not sure how this will be received to then being you know like Sunday Times album of the week Telegraph album of the week and it was just album of the week pretty much everywhere and I think they were equally as surprised about that as I was and it just really helped that there was those years of gaps in between where you know I had a lot of therapy since then <laughs> and just a lot of distance from from those experiences that I'm singing about and diving into and I, I think that really helped so although I was a little nervous before it came out, 
as soon as I kind of started reading the reviews and got a sense, you know, fans reactions to the album, any kind of anxiety I had about sharing these really deeply personal things just completely, it dissipated completely. And I, I'm just so happy that it came out when it did. So are you sort of like now able to look at your piece of work in a more detached way, if that makes sense? Like, Yeah, and I think there was always, you know, an inbuilt detachment into it as well. I didn't want to just write an autobiographical record. I wanted it to be something that would resonate with people's own experiences. Um, and although, yes, it is autobiographically inspired, I worked very hard to make it lyrically something that had space for the listener to, if that makes sense, that, that there is... Um, and the reaction to the record has been very much that, that, you know, everybody experiences grief and loss in their life. And it seems to have really helped people through their own experiences. So that that feels really good in a weird way. Makes sense. Um, and you recently also announced that you're going to be supporting the, the Manic Street Preachers on tour in um, early autumn. And um, that's really exciting, by the way. And I, I just wanted to know how did your relationship with them started? Because, of course, you also did a duet on the record with, um, with James, the lead singer. So, yeah, how did it all start for you and them? Well, it probably started back when I was about 12 years old, when I was a massive fan of the band. But in terms of my kind of relationship with them, in terms of collaborating with them, they um, had heard my debut record back in 2016. And uh, I'd heard that they'd like been playing it out like to the crowds before they were playing their shows on that tour um, and then they invited me to support them at the Eden Project I think that was summer 2016 and as well as supporting them I got a call like I think it was about the week before the show from their manager just saying they'd really like you to come and duet with them on stage as well and sing Little Baby Nothing so it kind of just really started from there they know that I'm a big fan of the band um, and they've just you know invited me on odd occasions to you know, I sang on their record as well um, Resistance is Futile that came out in 2018 and it's just been this kind of constant to and fro and then they asked me to come and do shows or support them and do various things so it's just been quite a natural evolution of you know having been a fan growing up to that kind of evolving into well we're a fan of what you do and yeah it's really really lovely it's you don't expect your life to sort of pan out in that way yeah, I was gonna say like it's it's you know if I think of like being a fan of, of a band and then ending up working with them, it's just it's not usually how it goes, but it's amazing. It's interesting though. I was listening to a podcast the other day about the psychology of fandom, um, and this um, psychologist that she was, she did her PhD on around kind of parasocial relationships and psychology of fandom, and she was talking about that actually often as fans, as adolescents or pre-adolescents, that we tend to latch on to pop stars, singers, bands that have qualities that we aspire to um, to grow in ourselves that apart from obviously the kind of perhaps more traditional fan relationships where you see people kind of lusting after you know the pop star or whatever and that really resonated with me as something that fits with this journey that I've been on with the band and that they have ide ideals and, and values as people, as human beings that I aspire to be when I was younger you know I wanted to be well read I wanted to be thoughtful I wanted to be glamorous and um, have those things fused together and to be very kind of politically aware um, so in a way it, it isn't as strange as it seems if that makes sense 
because it's it's almost as if you, you set them up as your idols but in that very kind of I want to be the kind of person that you are there isn't that expectation of distance I don't think in the same way it's like you can grow towards them if that makes sense to the point where yes you can be friends with them and you can because you've got a lot in common um and I remember the first time I met Nikki and I interviewed him actually um and we talked for about three hours because we had all the same reference points you know we had all this we read all the same books so um I don't know that it's a traditional kind of fan and bands relationship it's more of a sort of a little bit like your teachers, that they kind of direct you towards certain things, then you grow to have similar tastes to them. And so it always feels quite natural to have become um, friendly with them, if that makes sense. No, it does. And um, just going back to your work, so of course you're a songwriter, but you're also a producer. So how did you start within the production field? Well, I probably started as a producer before I started as a songwriter. Um, I was always much more interested in making records than I was in being a performer or, or writing songs, for instance. So my 17th birthday, I got a, a multi-track recorder. Um, everyone, I think, knows this story about me by now that I don't drive because my parents basically said to me, look, we can't afford to get you driving lessons and the, you know, the multi-track. So what do you want? And I said, a multi-track, please. And I would just like record like covers of, you know, No Doubt or Alanis Morissette songs and just like break them down and work out like how to do it, like bouncing the tracks down. So being a producer really started there for me in, in trying to mimic these really great records that I loved. Um, and I guess maybe the songwriting kind of just came as a consequence of the fact that I didn't have a band to record. <laughs> and and nobody kind of wanted me to record their band, so I better start my own, really. Um, and then, obviously, I, I, I learned a huge amount working at the Padgham Studio in West London um, while I was doing my PhD. At the same time, um, I would be there, you know, sometimes one day a week, sometimes a couple of days a week, sometimes then not for a few weeks at all. And I would just go in and you know, really learn the ropes of those studios, that very traditional, old-school way of doing things. Um, but yeah, I mostly learned, I would say, from making my own records and those kind of associated with my immediate creative circle. Um, and I'd always think of myself as someone who makes records first rather than as a, an artist or a songwriter, if that makes sense. Right. And what sort of um, records inspired you when you were like starting out with a multi-track recorder? Um, well, it was like, you know, the, the records I talked about, like No Doubt, like Tragic Kingdom was probably my favourite record when I was like nine. I just thought it was brilliant. Partly, I think, just because there weren't many other women kind of doing it. Um, I'm just trying to think. I love the Manic Street Preachers, obviously. Um, but my parents' record collection was really important to me too. So, you know, the classic great, um, you know, songwriters, James Taylor, Carol King, you know, there's really just beautifully recorded albums. Elton John was like a big... Um, stalwart in my house as well like my mum would just always play records we didn't really watch tv you know, every weekend it would be you know that radio show that used to count down through the charts of whatever year it was so I, I got a kind of very rigorous musical education of Motown um prog rock from my dad um so I've become if you can be quite well read in music like whatever the equivalent is well listened and well versed in all those kind of classic albums I see you wonder and yeah, every, everything, I think. It was just those really well-made records. I, 
perhaps maybe sort of like you know the kind of early 70s peak of studio recording when it would have cost you know half a million quid to record something <laughs> so of course you've also done a lot of like co-writing and just collaborating overall of course the record with Bernard Butler all the stuff with uh with the Mannix and and much more I would like to know which artists would you love to work with or would you have loved to work with if they're not here anymore I think I would have loved to work with Prince it probably wouldn't have been a very enjoyable experience from what I'm now discovering about him. I would have more like, I guess I wouldn't like to be a fly on the wall, maybe rather than work with him. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think a lot of the artists that you idolize aren't necessarily people that you would want to work with. Like I love Kate Bush, but I, I wouldn't want to disrupt her process in any way. It's like, I want her to do what she does. I don't want to get involved in that. So I wouldn't want to work with her. Um, even though I'd love to, I, I don't, think it would necessarily make for a great record um peter gabriel i would love to um robert smith from the cure would probably be my kind of current living um top of my list in terms of collaborators and we we almost made it happen for this last record but it, it didn't quite didn't quite make it there so yeah he, next on my hit list oh definitely now just just moving on to something a little bit deeper so your, your commitment when it comes to gender equality within the industry, within the music industry, and just overall is quite, is quite big. So you're very vocal about the issues that we have to face as like female and, you know, and for gender minorities as well. And you're also part of the F list, which was started by Vic Bain and has quite a few um, female tutors from ICMP in it as well. So my question is about coping with how overwhelming it can be to dealing with um, such issues and fighting for, for a more equal music industry and at the same time trying to stay sane and, and focused on what we're trying to do because, of course, it, it can be overwhelming and it is. I know it is for me. I know it is for many people. So how do you deal with it? I wish I had the answer. I don't know if I do stay sane. I certainly don't stay not angry. <sighs> I guess it's about having a balance between how much time I spend raging against it publicly. Um, so for instance, this week alone, I had a lovely comment from a guy on the album trailer. And in the album trailer, I don't know if anyone's seen it, I'm, you know, I'm playing the guitar like really prominently, it's the 90% of the footage. And the first comment was, do you play your guitar on the record? It sounds really great. And you just, you, you get, it's so frustrating because your instinct is to reply and get mad and it's just not worth wasting your breath on on people where their kind of unconscious bias is so strong that they can literally cannot see what's in front of their face you know the woman playing the guitar on her record where it says written and produced by Catherine Nan Davies it's like they cannot see what's right in front of their face don't waste your energy and I, I can't remember who it was that kind of taught me this idea you've got a finite amount of energy and you've got to decide what to do with it so if you say you've got like a hundred 100% of energy you know maybe you want to decide to put 10% of that into being angry and vocal and raging and pointing things out to a fan base or, or wide audience but make sure that you save the 90% for doing the good work that backs that up as well so, so I guess I sort of I allow myself a ration of anger and a ration of and I think I've also learned you don't have to reply to everybody you don't have to respond to every idiot on the internet. You don't have to respond to everyone who undermines you. Actually, sometimes you just ignore it. Um, 
It's difficult, but I'm getting a bit better at it. So yeah, so that's my top tip. Ration, ration yourself your anger and the time and energy that you spend on something. Um, and know that you don't always have to acknowledge something that somebody has said if it's ridiculous and stupid and ignorant. Fair enough. That's, that's great advice. And now going back to music. So, uh, of course, with live music, slowly starting back, very slowly. I would like to know what's the sort of like dearest memory of like a moment that you're looking forward to live again when you're like on the road. So it could be anything really, something that you're really looking forward to when you think of like going back on the road and play. It's difficult for me because I would say that I'm not necessarily my most comfortable when I'm playing live. Like I still suffer from much of a sim it's not really imposter syndrome, but I suffer with a huge amount of nerves because I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to playing live. And I only really hit my stride when I've done quite a lot of shows and I'm kind of into the rhythm of it. Otherwise I can feel quite sick before I go on stage. But I remember touring with Simple Minds and there was a moment when we were playing in Italy, so I was probably about 100 shows in by this point. It takes about 100 to get there. <laughs> and the moment when I started playing the beginning of Rivers of Ice on the piano, and at that moment in the show, it's just me on my own in the middle of the stage, completely live, and it's quite frightening. It's like a tightrope. If something goes wrong, you know, you've got nothing to cover you. And this huge roar coming up from the crowd. It must have been like 40,000 people in the arena. And I almost have to stop myself from crying because it was just so overwhelming like the emotion and the gratitude coming from the audience um and I, th I think it's something very particular that I felt with Italian audiences as well they have a very um unique way of showing their appreciation and also their appreciation for the more subtle and quiet moments in the set and I just found that completely emotionally overwhelming and it is moments like that that you you live for to find an audience that is just truly loves their music and can communicate that to you in a a way that doesn't disrupt the performance and that is like conveys their love and gratitude. It's just it's really magic. It really is something. And like sometimes when I get really nervous about going back out and doing live again, like I say, I, it's not my natural habitat. I, I think of that and I think you just have to hit your stride, Catherine, and get to that point, and then you might be lucky enough to get that wave come through again. That's amazing. And I'm Italian, so I can confirm that. Oh, you know this. Really, honestly, I, I swear that different audiences in different countries have such a different um, personality to them. Like the, the way that they clap is different. <laughs> I know it sounds mad. <laughs> Having spent as much time in Europe as I have touring in Europe, like I could tell you what country I'm in based upon the reaction of the audience. Like we saw yeah. a lot of punch-ups down the front in Norway, let's put it that way, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> and that Germans can be quite reserved but equally incredibly appreciative and really like kind of the more rockier set the rockier end of the set and it's French audiences again much more similar to Italian audience I hate to be like really generalistic here but that was my experience of playing those kind of big those very big shows and um, yeah but Italy was like a very special place for me they like the quiet ones <laughs> <laughs> doesn't happen often yeah true whereas um, in england everybody goes to the bar at that point so yeah like, that's yeah. also a thing yeah definitely um moving back to or moving to teaching at icmp which is you know the reason why we're here 
So you teach both songwriting and production. I would like to know what does it give you? Why you why do you do it and how is it helping you hopefully as as an artist and as a human being? It's a really good question. I mean, originally I just started I was doing half a day a week at ICMP alongside my kind of artist work, my production work. And I just found it a really great way of keeping relevant, keeping excited and enthusiastic because every week I would go to songwriting workshops that I was hosting and I would just be hearing about something that was exciting the students that they were listening to, hearing them get excited about what they were coming up with. It just gives you a fresh perspective and in a quite a selfish way, I would find it feeding back in, into what I was doing, not directly, but more in terms of the enthusiasm for subjects. And then obviously the pandemic hit, um, which coincides very nicely with the masters in um, production starting. So I kind of have been doing a little bit more teaching than I would normally do. And again, I've just found that it's enriched my, my not only my knowledge, because it, it, it makes you feel as if you kind of really got to be um on the ball you've got to have your knowledge constantly kept up to date um I, and but i just find it so incredibly rewarding i choose to mostly kind of do a lot of one-to-one -one work with students and I, I i really enjoy that because you build a relationship with people over time um and i work a lot on the final year projects in the masters course and you, you get to see somebody you know start an album project and see it through to the end which it's not too dissimilar to what I do as a producer. Um, so it's, it, it just really um, complements my work in the industry. I would say it enriches it. And I, I don't, I think I've said this sort of before publicly, that I really hate the way that it's often looked down upon if someone teaches, um, as if you've somehow failed to be successful enough to not do that. One, I think that's a really... Um, out of date view because you know I think the way that the industry is now it's 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 pretty much impossible unless you are a major label artist with great success to only have that one strand of, of income um, but also I think it completely overlooks how it deepens your own practice and how it um, kind of keeps you on your toes as well um, so, so for me, I don't think I was, even with, you know, the, the success of the album, you know, I did take last semester off to focus on that. But I will always come back to teaching because for me, it's what makes me a better writer. It what makes me a better producer. Um, and I am constantly excited by what I see the students making in their own work. Um, and anyone that isn't, I don't think you should be shouldn't be teaching if you don't feel like that. Definitely. Okay. No, that was that was a great answer. And um, right, I think I kind of got to the end of the of my question list, but I would like to end with um, music focused question. And I want to know what you've been listening to lately, and if you have any sort of like recommendations. It's a lot of women actually making music that I've been listening to, not programmatically, but it just happens to be that that's what I'm excited about. So I've been listening to um, Billy No Mates a lot. She's an incredible. Um, artists from Bristol who's on um, Invader Records she's just absolutely brilliant I, I can't stop listening to her she's got brilliant attitude fantastic lyrics um, great to follow on social media as well I've listened to Hannah Peel's new album which is called Fur Wave which is 
based on um, using the Delia Derbyshire radiophonic workshop tapes. Really fantastic soundscape work, really innovative, um, beautiful instrumentals, just like a holiday for your brain, I think. Really recommend that. Jane Weaver as well, I think is incredible. Her new record has done really, really well. Came out, I think, the week before mine, actually. It's been really interesting to see, because um, I've known her for a few years uh, on the scene, as it were, and it's been really nice to see both of our records kind of take off in the mainstream at the same time. Um, so yeah, three women who are all doing fantastic work, writing and producing themselves mostly as well. Yeah, I'm going to check them out. I know Billy Nome, it's I love No. I think her track No is just uh, it's just all, brilliant. All the of lyrics. her lyrics are just... The lyrics just are just so on point. Funny, isn't she? She's yeah. so arch and she's so funny and smart and brilliant. I just yeah. think she's really great. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was lovely to my, talk my to you. My pleasure. My pleasure.